Good morning. 1 Samuel 2, 2, this morning I want to bless you with God's word. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one other than you. There is no rock like our God. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What a powerful service already this morning. It's a privilege to stand before you today. I asked Tammy to put up a picture of a firm foundation. That's the theme of my message today. And last Tuesday night, uh, I would say thank you all to everyone that came out. We had a great time together. Uh, I think this is, a, this is a great thing to see a church like ours that has men that's willing to you know, get involved, to fellowship, and to come together. That's a, that's a really a, a beautiful thing, a really rare thing in culture today. So thank you all to the men. Ladies, again, the bar has been set, so I, I pray that yours is just as rewarding today. Again, it's an honor to be before you today. I, I did not give out a physical outline uh, for those of you that are uh, one that at least want to make a mental note or take any notes down. I'll give you kind of a three-part direction as we go into this today. First of all, we're going to be looking at things as they are, being realistic, right, with, with our situation. How many of you know that the idea of building on sand is something that we're all probably way too comfortable with, even if we're being honest with ourselves. Those of us that are are seasoned Christians, it can be tempting to draw back in certain areas of our lives and go for the convenience and culture of building on sand. Amen. So that's our first section today. And secondly, I want to introduce you to the rock. I want to make sure you know who is the rock. Amen. Really, the song we sang this morning, Firm Foundation, preached the message for me, but But if it's not hitting you in your heart, if you don't know the door, right, if you don't know the way of salvation, if you don't know that personally, then again, all this is kind of just a waste. So that's our second part today. Then finally, what does it look like to build? So lastly, before we close, we will look at what does it look like to build on the rock? And most importantly this morning, as we go through these three sections, I want you to know that if God does not move on your heart and that you don't come to this for yourselves, then all of this, again, is in vain. Amen. So one more scripture before we get into our root text today. 1 Corinthians 3.11 is that there is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is being laid, which is Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. That is something I always us to understand, not to say, okay, we're singing a song or that, you know, we're, we're talking about rock and sand and these different ideas, but to truly know that Jesus Christ is everything. It's everything. And so as we get into the text this morning, there's one text I would say if you're a kind that you would want to flip to the text yourself, uh, the text we'll, we'll land on to, to close here is 1 Peter 2. But our root passage is going to be the song again we sang, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So you're, feel free to, to flip to that passage now, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And I want to let you know this morning, this before we, as we get into the message, that the context here is this is the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. This parable really kind of concludes all that Jesus has said. And I want to tip you off to what's going to be happening next week. I'm looking forward to Pastor Larry kind of getting into uh, the weeks ahead. We'll be looking at Genesis and a series that he's been preparing. It's been on his heart for a while. And how many of you know how important the Word of God is? Amen? So this is truly the very beginning of all of our faith, right? And, and Sister Judith, thank you so much. Weeks back, she blessed us with the Shema, 
right? And there's, there's things in Scripture that are foundational that build upon one another. But how many of you know as well the New Testament, the foundation is the cross of Christ? Amen. And so we have the thing that you, that's uniquely separating us from anyone else is that we literally have a historical event and an empty tomb that backs up everything we're talking about this morning. Amen. So this morning, again, as we get into this, uh, just know that there's so much that could be said about this passage, but we're briefly going to look at these four verses that will kind of be the root foundation, if you will, for what we're talking about today. Jesus said to that original audience and to us today in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, again, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because its foundation had been laid on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. God, we consecrate all of this to you, Lord. I ask that you would streamline, God, my words to which, God, your word, your message today, God, for us could come forth. Lord, I pray, Lord, for hearts, God, today, Lord, that you would prepare, God, good soil, God, that you would, God, remove, Lord, God, this, as you said you would, Lord, you remove the heart of stone, Lord, and that you would give us, Lord, a heart of flesh, Lord, that we could be transformed into your image and likeness, that we would look more and more like you, God, even as we trust you, God, would you draw us near to you, Lord, that Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would know you for ourselves. God, that we would have that joy in chaos. We would have the peace that makes no sense. God, I thank you for this morning, for what you want to do, and I ask, Lord, that you would accomplish it all, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So this morning, again, looking at the sand. So much of my, my thinking and preparation here, I was torn between, you know, the idea I have young children and, and sandcastles or things that I'm more familiar with probably than I, I would have been recently. And I don't know if you're the type that like to build a sandcastle or like to tear it down, <laughs> but, the, but this morning, I, I know that as we, as we get into this, one of my prayers for us is that we would ask God to smash our own sandcastles. I think that that's a picture that when you come up to God's word, how many of you know out there this is very controversial? And what's been said already, I just love how the spirit works because God has really prepped what I had already intended to say today so well. But the objective truth that so many wrestle with shouldn't change our heart for the lost. It's easy for us to, even for myself, I'll admit, that so often I get concerned or bothered by behavior, by actions. And if you know the heart of Jesus, he's thinking about the heart of the individual, of the soul. It's like, whatever can I do to get this loved one of mine to know me so they can be called a child of God? Amen. And so again, for us, we're in the same situation, right? We have... The same walk that everyone has to live, and it's so much easier to have head knowledge than it is to really be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm praying that all of us today will, will know and we will go deeper in this morning. 
So seven broad categories, and again, I didn't give out an outline. This certainly would not have been the outline itself, but just some practical things that we will wind up concluding with today in our application of this, but just some broad things to think about. Because these, these are all ways in which we interact with the sand and we want to build on the sand, even if we're not even aware of it. First of all, material things and possessions. We all have things in our lives that, if we're not careful, right, can become idols. Secondly, this concept of time. Right? We're all bound by time. But maybe you're the type that are, are busy, constantly focused on whatever the next achievement is. Perhaps you're one that's like, oh, I got time to figure that out. I'm going to put that off and one day I'll get to, to that faith stuff. Right? So time can be a stumbling block, the way we think about this. Third, money. Of course, we all have to use and interact with money, but it's loving money to the point to where it drives all of our decisions. Fourth is health and comfort. Now, right, these are good things, but these should not be the sole focus of our attention. Fifth, and hear me out on this one, job, status, identity, however it is that you might define yourself that's outside of Christ. So many superficial notions that we all fall into at times. Sixth is that world out there, the culture, your peers, this concept of fame, the things that we're wrapped up in that really are extremely fickle and not important, but right now they just seem so important. And seventh, perhaps the hardest for church folk, this understanding of religion, the good works that we're so caught up in doing, our own theology, the way we have got this all figured out, maybe the denomination you were brought up in or whatever, these own constructs that we have, this can be incredibly difficult for even the Christian to avoid keeping these things from being stumbling blocks. Right? And these things I've talked about with the world, this is the stuff that they have no clue, they don't get, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the same traps that the Pharisees did. The same traps that the Pharisees did. So this morning, I want to, again, just be aware of all these things. And really, our culture, I ran across a sermon illustration that, if you'll just bear with me, I uh, spoke to a Duke PhD student. Chip and I were out to lunch, or or lunch, rather, with my boys downtown, and there was a guy sitting there. I would have never thought he was studying medieval uh, history at Duke. But I mentioned this, and he was like, yeah, it's such a different world back then. What's amazing, when we're talking about foundations... The medieval cathedrals, you know, the massive structures, we have no clue who built any of those. At that time, it was just normal for, why would anyone sign the cornerstone? You know, and as time went on, the differences of, of how things change, we have lost that completely, right? In the last 200 years, the enlightenment and all the modern things that we take for granted have certainly leaned into the self and individuals. And now with social media, I mean, all of us are interacting in some ways with things that, again, algorithms and whatever's driving what we're seeing and what we're interacting with, we all get sucked into our own isolated echo chambers, right? And, and whether we know it or not, we're constantly reinforcing our own desires, our own interests that at least at the bare minimum make it so hard to think from someone else's perspective, to consider another person. Right, And that may not in itself, like if you're looking at these wholesome things and the gospel is all about what you're doing, that can be okay. But again, the gospel has to be relatable. right? And the Holy Spirit works that. But he uses us to do it too. And so we just have to be very mindful right, of the age in which we live in to be careful to fall into the same stumbling blocks. If you would flip now to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10, it was going to be our verses that... I, 
through all the scripture I saw in, lead, in preparing for this message, I thought this was by far the best passage to present to you this rock. I started off reading 1 Samuel 2, 2, and there's so many verses throughout Scripture that refer to our God as a rock. You have to think in that day, right, we live in a different time period even now compared to then, but this idea of a high, rocky place or a summit was a place where you could get protection. And so constantly you see in Scripture this idea of a rock, like a literal rock, or this, again, this rocky summit is something that you see all throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 specifically says that Christ is the rock. Right? The rock that was in the wilderness that provided for the children of Israel, Christ was that rock. Now that kind of hurts my mind to think about how that, what, what does that mean? How could that be? But we know God's word. And this, this morning I want to reference the fantastic sermon that we had back for the Christmas service and God's word. I want to remind you that this is Jesus Christ, right? The word of God. I believe even the spoken word of God. You'll hear it next week and you can look at Genesis 1 and 2. But I believe when God said, let there be light, that's the first representation of Jesus Christ, the word of God that we can see tangibly in the scripture. We know that from the beginning, he was, he was not created. We know that as big as he is, he is personal and he died for you and for me. And that's the God we serve. Amen. Let's look at these verses that really bring all this together in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. This is for all of us today. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in God's sight. You yourselves, as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, and he's quoting so many Old Testament passages here, for it says in Scripture, look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And who believes in him will never be put to shame. And I want to stop right here just so you can really meditate on how easy this is, right? The walk of Christ can, be, can become tiresome, right? And we were told not to grow weary in well-doing. This is all easy in the fact that he's done the work. Let me read what the scripture says again. Look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious stone cornerstone and whoever believes in him whoever believes in him will never be put to shame verse 7 goes on to say so you who believe see his value but for those who do not believe again the old testament quoted here the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and even now a stumbling stone, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this morning, I want to draw your mind to three different pictures of a stone that's in this text. Again, you see all throughout Scripture, but this chosen and precious cornerstone. What God has done is he set a foundation where he is the foundation. Amen? 
And Jesus Christ, though he was rejected, he has become now the chosen and precious cornerstone. He himself sets the foundation, right? This literal stone sets the foundation for all that will go forth. And in that, we know that he's calling us to be living stones, to be secure to him. A few weeks ago, I opened the service speaking about how we're all to grow up in this together, right? I will confess to you that there's so many aspects of this that I've had to kind of learn over the years and still learning so much. As Peter is walking on the water, I remember teaching that as a devotion one time with the internal conference we had hosted here. And look, this is good, right? The idea of keeping your eyes on Jesus, but my own thought process was so limited. My thought process was, okay, if he just kept his eyes on Jesus, he would be okay, right? Peter would be okay. I don't think that's even what God had in mind. I think what Jesus would have preferred was, yes, he would have kept his eyes on Jesus, and he would have been so emboldened in faith, he would look back at the disciples and say, come on. And in prepping for this, it kind of just hit me like, wow, our view is so limited to what you want to do. It's so easy to just get sucked into self, even as we're doing the Christian walk, right? This is me and Jesus, right? You've heard that said. But that's not what he's calling us to. So the second one, a stone that a builder has originally, when Jesus Christ was on this earth, he rejected his own people. The Jewish people did not receive him. And so much we see this happening now, but this is the, the same stone that becomes the cornerstone, right? He humbled himself so that God would exalt him, so that God would exalt him. And the last one, again, is the one that's challenging Jesus himself, the name of Jesus, can be a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. I happened to, to catch the, the tale, maybe 15 minutes or so, of the National Day of Prayer. Well, not the National Day of Prayer, but the National Prayer Breakfast this past Thursday. And I wasn't even really looking for it. I just happened to stumble across it on YouTube. And again, it was concluding. And, and I was thankful to kind of remember back, and it's hard to remember as a child, you know, what all was going on. But I was there physically in 2004, and again, not to compare then to now, but certainly the way things are now, all that I heard sounded biblical. But the person that finally concluded and had this great prayer went to such lengths to say, whatever God that you pray in, right? So many good things had been said that could be taken as biblical, but when it came back to this kind of universal understanding of not wanting to offend anyone, I was like, what are we doing and even this, she said, at the end of it said, and for myself, the strong name of Jesus. And I was like, okay, well, that's better, you know. But, but like, what are we doing? Because nowadays, as unfortunate as it is, how many of you know the truth can be a little uncomfortable? And I think that's the hardest thing for our world and our, our culture because we have been so trained to be comfortable and be nice and be, you know, just to go out of our way to make sure everything's okay. And the sad thing about this is when you come to the scripture, the Christians that talk about hell as if you want people to go there, right? That's what really gives us a bad rap, right? If you look at the word, I don't have chapter and verse for this, but even hell itself was created for the devil and his angels, so when you understand what the word says, God's heart is so clear. 
I've told the youth over the years that this is the only thing that can be exclusive and inclusive at the same time. That God's call is to everyone who will respond. And the fact that some won't and there's an alternative, that can be hard for people to wrap their mind around. This morning, as we transition into the third and final part, I want you to know that any of this application is not a self-help list. I want you to know that as you're walking out this life with God, when you've said your yes to Jesus and you're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow him, the Holy Spirit is what works that in you. And yes, we need each other. That's how the Holy Spirit has designed all this to work, that he works through his people. Amen? But don't get caught up in these things and be like, well, if I can just fix whatever this is in my life. That, that's not how God has meant for this to work. He's intended for a relationship to produce the results. First of all, this concept of these material things. You have to know these things are, temp- these things are totally temporary, but they're enjoyed with proper balance when you build on the rock not worship. We worship the creator, not the creation. How about time? Instead of the way we like to do things, we're to live intentionally today and trust Christ with all of our tomorrows. And the scripture for so much of this comes from the Sermon on the Mount, so I would encourage you this week as well to to read Matthew 5 through 7. How about money? Money is meant to be able to steward well and to give generously. Even Jesus himself, when Acts 20 and verse 35, we see that he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. How about this fourth concept of health and comfort? And this is hard for all of us, right? The fact that we should not be the focus of our own attention. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus and the gospel and trust him for our provision. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Fifth, this idea of identity and whatever it is that you wrap yourselves up in thinking about, okay, this is who I am. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity should unconditionally be blood-bought children of God. First and foremost, how about the culture? All these things that we interact with, no matter what we get wrapped up in the moment, you have to remember constantly that following Jesus is the answer. And if the praise team will go ahead and just prepare to come forward, um, you can come now and, and we'll get into it in a moment. Taking up your cross to follow Jesus. In Luke 9, 23, the word daily is mentioned. And again, that can be what the challenging piece of this is, right? We have to die to self daily. Right? It's one thing to build on the rock, to have this head knowledge. I can tell you for myself, I accepted Jesus Christ as a seven-year-old, right? That was wonderful. I didn't get to tell anyone because my grandma was right there and I told her as we were walking out of the church and she did all the, you know, the press for me. And I knew 
Christ as a child, but it's still, there was still this requirement of as an adult, or if you, whatever you want to call a 19-year-old, for myself, I still had to make the decision to surrender my life to him. Because there was definitely a time where I was not walking in what I knew. And so that's the idea of taking up your cross. And, and for me, I mean, probably providentially, like you would say, God allowed me, you know, whichever. It took me from the pit about three months into my college experience to about 18 months later where I said, God, I surrender it all to you. And in that 18-month period, there were things along the way that, that I did and this, that, and the other. But first, it was God getting hold of my heart. And saying, no, you don't got it all figured out. No, you're not together. No, this is not going to work without me. And so you have to know that this is all temporary. And I hate to break it to you young people, but the trends that we look at online, that stuff changes constantly. And I hadn't even thought about this, Matt, but as y'all were singing the song earlier, thank you for all the effort in preparing that. Faithful through generations. There's a, something to mention from the, from the root passage that we looked at about the sand and the, the sea. In the initial context there, as they were hearing that parable, the Sea of Galilee would have been right there. And in the summertime, the, the sand on the shoreline would have been very firm. It would have seemed secure. But anyone that had any experience building would have known, no, no, no I've got to dig down deep. All right? and, the, and the Luke 6, the parallel passage to that, talks about digging deep to the foundation of the bedrock. I know some of this no matter your age, this can seem uncomfortable, right? Digging into our own hearts is uncomfortable. No matter what you've been through. But what hit me about the generations is that as seasons change and that sand would have got loose and would have been very obviously a poor foundation, that's how the generations are, right? We need each other. But so many things are so different. Just let five years go by, much less a full generation. Amen? And that doesn't make one greater than the other. I know you have the greatest generation, but you know whatever the name of the individual generation that you're talking about, we need one another. And these things, the things we interact with, they all shift, but this is constant. God's word is constant. And lastly, as we shift into altar time, I think this is good for all of us. The seventh one, again, is for, is for the, the church folk or those of us that that shift into all the things we do and the things we know. Again, this parable was found in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And just a few verses prior to that is one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture. Verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And again, when I told you earlier that this relationship is what produces the results, I don't think we have to get too bit out of shape trying to figure out if we're in God's will or not. It's do you know him? Amen. God's not looking for lip service. He doesn't want you to say, Lord, Lord. 
If you look at this, there's even so many great works and miracles and things that are happening in this passage, but God still didn't know them. Because when you know him, your heart gets changed, and then what you're doing is actually going to match the Father's will. Amen. So again, all these things can be said, and and one thing you said, Brother David, that I think kind of struck me is we look towards the, what's coming up with the Genesis series. There were a lot of issues, right, in those times with those people. But God was still interested in relationship. He didn't come to Abraham and to Jacob and to, to really get in the weeds and say, no, 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 polygamy, we're going to work that out right here. He was interested in redeeming the people, having relationship with them where they were. And yes, these things corrected over time. You see that in Scripture. Such a wonderful job recently in the pastoral sermons about slavery and all these issues that we see that got worked out much later and it had to get worse before it got better. But God is interested in the hearts of people. And eventually I will pray and say goodbye to our online audience before we really dive into altar but I want you to know this morning that God is for you. All of these things, all of the word of God, even the hard places, he is for you. I'll tell you, it's one of the hardest things to discipline your kids. It's one of the hardest things but it's so necessary because I see how they are when they go whatever period of time without discipline. And I want the best for my kids. So just know that God wants the best for you this morning and I pray that you will respond to him. God's sovereign over all. He's ready for us to make the move because he's already worked all this out. And he's, if you feel a tug this morning, no, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you and it's not too late you have breath in your body a heartbeat he's calling you to come to him would you pray with me God we thank you for what you're doing God we thank you Lord that you have set the foundation and you call us God to to build upon the only security we could ever know I thank you that you love us I thank you that you've done the hard work God, and while there might be a, a tension, God, in, in, in the truth, in your word, God, while we know that, God, the rock of your kingdom will smash all the other kingdoms, God, we voluntarily ask, Lord, that you smash our own little kingdom now. Because we know, God, we'll bow to you one day, but, God, we want to love you and to walk with you now because you have so graciously given us that opportunity. God, so I thank you to every single one who's online. And I pray that you would be with them, Lord, this week. And we thank you, Lord, for what you are working in this place, what you have foreordained. And we give all to you in your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.